Welcome back to Catholic Doctrine Bible Study. This is session 119. I'm your host, Jim Hawk. In this session, we'll complete our short study of 1 Peter, and we'll begin with chapter 3. There's only five chapters in this, uh, in this letter. And uh, so if some of this looks familiar to you, what we're going to cover, it's because Paul has emphasized some of these main points elsewhere. So we're not going to spend a lot of time going over the doctrines that Paul has covered before. And I just want to touch on a couple of items of doctrine that, uh, that Peter mentions that might require a little more explanation. For example, in chapter 3, he devotes a uh, verse 1 through verse 7 on, uh, Christ, uh, on the treatment of a, a spouse, of your spouse, if, if you are a Christian. And he says this uh, line about wives should be subordinate to your husbands. And he says that um, husbands should... Uh, show honor to their their wives. These are things that we've covered in great detail in our study of Ephesians chapter 5. So what I would urge you to do is, rather than us going through this whole thing again, uh, put in your margins, see Ephesians 5 verses 21 through 32 in our discussion of that. Write that in your margins. Um, so it's covered pretty well in that session. So see, see Ephesians 5, verses 21 through 32. He talks about um, being loving and of one mind. So here's, here's Peter, our first pope, saying we need to be of one mind. I would circle that in verse 8. All of you be of one mind. All right, so our, our Christian faith has been divided along doctrinal lines, hasn't it? So that's why I'm having you circle one mind, the words one mind in verse 8. We're all supposed to be thinking alike. Christ started one church after all. Peter also visits the idea of suffering we mentioned that in our, our last session here. And, um, you know, the value of suffering. And I'll even go so far as to, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit to chapter 4. And we see in verse 13 of chapter 4, where Peter says, Rejoice to the extent that you share in the sufferings of Christ. So that when his glory is you re, is revealed, you may also rejoice exultantly. Rejoice in the extent that you share in the sufferings of Christ. So you might think it a little odd. How do I share in the sufferings of Christ? Well, when you suffer for Christ, insults by family members and that sort of thing, you get a little taste of what Christ felt on the cross, okay? And so we talk, we've talked in other sessions about how we unite our sufferings with that of Christ on the cross for the benefit of the church, you know, for the benefit of a specific ministry, etc. Okay, uh, but I want to back up 
still in chapter three. And uh, let's see. He, uh, there's kind of a curious passage in chapter three, verse 19. He's talking about uh, Jesus. And after he uh, died, you know, as, as a mortal person, in verse 19, it says, he also went to preach to the spirits in prison who had once been disobedient while God patiently waited in the days of Noah during the building of the ark, in which a few persons, eight in all, were saved through water. Now, there's four different theories about who these people were that Christ, after he died, preached to. Uh, we have a general sense that he went to, you know, Abraham's bosom, if you will, which was kind of the holding place for the Old Testament faithful, if you will, who were waiting for their Messiah to come to release them to, to heaven, right? So that's that's uh, certainly a, a big theory. But there are four other theories, and there there is no church conclusion as to, um, you know, because there is a little weirdness in here in verse 20. Um, he preached to the spirits in prison who had once been disobedient. So I get where, you know, it's it would be pretty obvious if if it said that, Christ preached to the spirits who were obedient, but um, that's not the case. I mean, that's not the full case. So rather than go through these four theories, which many of you will find uh, just a little too much, I am going to include a handout for those of you who really want to read about these four theories. Augustine gives one. Um, uh, Bellarmine gives one, and uh, etc. Et so for those of you few that really want to delve into that, read the handout that comes along with that lesson. But what I do want to spend a moment on is uh, the, verse, the end of verse 20 and verse 21, where um, it talks about those who were on the ark and were saved through water. Okay, you might say, well, no, they were saved from the water. Well, they were saved through water in Peter's view because the water of the flood of, of Noah's day washed out all the filth of the world, that is to say the sin, the sinners, the, the people who were um, non-followers um, you know, non of God. Verse 21, he says, this prefigured baptism, which saves you now. Uh, so I would want you to underline the last part of verse 20, uh, saved through water, and then all of verse 21, which says this prefigured baptism, which saves you now. Well, you can stop with the underlining after the word now. Okay, so does baptism save you? Well, many things are involved in your salvation, right? Now, there are those who would say, 
Hey, I was baptized, so my ticket is punched. It says right here in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, baptism which saves you now. So all I need to do is be baptized and I'm saved. Well, there are many things that lead us to salvation. We've read about a number of them in our studies. We've read about the necessity of bearing fruit. We've read about the necessity in Matthew chapter 25 of uh, feeding the hungry, um, clothing the naked, visiting people in prison. So Matthew 25, you got to do that. That's another example of bearing fruit, right? We've seen numerous cases in our studies where we need to persevere in our faith to the end in order to be saved. So many things are involved in our salvation, uh, principally, of course, a relationship with God. And the reason why Peter says baptism, which saves you now, and Peter emphasizes this in this verse, is because that is the process. That's Baptism is sort of your introduction to the family of God, right? So you become a child of God at baptism, right? In, in the fullest sense of the word. Now, so you're in the family. So you don't really have to do anything to get into the family, except, you know, baptism for those who know that they need to be baptized. Um, but you need to do these other things to remain in a relationship with, with God. You can walk away from God anytime you want. You have a free will. You can disavow God and walk away. But the process begins with baptism. Okay, so we covered one group of people who say, oh, all I have to do is be baptized and I'm saved, right? Um, but we've just discussed there are other things involved. Then there is another faction of Christians who say, ah, baptism, you don't really have to do that. All you need to do is trust in God and you don't need to be baptized. Well, I would say this. We serve a merciful God. His mercy is boundless. But having said that, we saw in John chapter 3, and by the way, we're, I want you to underline baptism, which saves you now, and in the margins, write John chapter 3. You'll recall that's where John had a conversation with Nicodemus, who was questioning Jesus, you know, and, uh, you know, Jesus says, you know, you must be saved through water and the Spirit. We also see at the end of Matthew chapter 25, Jesus, excuse me, at the end of the gospel of Matthew, rather, the last lines, it, it, uh, Jesus exhorts the apostles to go forth and what? Baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, right? So if God tells you to do something, you probably ought to do it, right? Now, what about the people who don't, who, you know, they live somewhere or they're in some culture where they didn't know about Jesus, they didn't know about the Holy Spirit, uh, they didn't know that they were supposed to be baptized. All right, well, is God going to judge them for what they didn't know? No, but I believe that God will judge you based on what has been revealed to you and what, uh, you know, in a situation in, in which you have a chance to, uh, a fair chance to accept or reject 
what that what has been revealed to you, right? So if you know you're supposed to be baptized and everything we've talked about so far, Matthew, John, etc., talk about the book of Acts several places. Uh, if you know you're supposed to be baptized and you don't do it, well, what kind of relationship do you really have with God? And I think uh, you, if you know you're supposed to do it, go ahead and do it. What's stopping you, right? Like the Ethiopian eunuch in the book of Acts, uh, Philip explained the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch and he said, hey, there's water. Why can't I get baptized right now, right? So do it. It's, it's important. And baptism, the, the importance of baptism is even more essential for we Catholics because we recognize that as a sacrament, it actually gives us grace. It gives us strength for the journey. It's not merely symbolic, but it actually imparts grace on us. Uh, it gives us power, doesn't it? So I just wanted to uh, to clarify that about baptism. Yes, it is a part of our salvation and a necessary part of our salvation for those who who know that they uh, need to be baptized. Okay, but it is not the only thing that will uh, that you need for salvation. But it's a beginning of your of your your walk with uh, within the family of God. Okay, now we're on to chapter four. We, uh, as I mentioned before, um, there is in verse 13, the, the idea of um, rejoicing to the extent that you share in the sufferings of Christ. I think we've talked about that enough. I'll back up a little bit into uh, chapter four, verse 10. It says, each one, each one of us has received a gift Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So I want you to underline that verse 10. Each one has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So God gives each of us a gift, but we each have different gifts, don't we? So I would like you, if you haven't found your spiritual gift, you know, are you are you good at just serving? Are you, you know, what do you have a heart for? What do you have a passion for? And I pray that you develop a heart and a passion for some ministry, right? But I would urge you to do a word search on your computer for spiritual gift test if you haven't already figured out what that is. And there you will find various uh, tests that you can take online and assign various scores to things that will allow you to discover, if you haven't already, how you might serve the Lord, how you might serve the, the church. Uh, he urges us in this verse 10, serve one another. Um, and you'll recall, I've, I've mentioned this a number of times, if you went to a Catholic school and you were as old as I am, you learned in first grade that uh, why are you here on earth? To know, love, and what? Serve God in this world so as to, happy, so as to be happy with him in the next. Okay. Uh, he has some... Um, 
uh, other general advice, which is not uh, unique, so we won't cover it in, in the extent because of the time constraints here. Uh, he does quote Proverbs 3.34 in chapter 5, verse 6, where he says, God opposes the proud, but bestows favor on the humble. So check yourself a little bit. What are you proud of? And whatever you are proud of, your own accomplishment, just recognize that God gave you that gift to, to be able to accomplish what it is that, um, you know, that you have accomplished. Ask how you can serve the church, right? And then his conclusion and verse 12, I write you this briefly through Sylvanus. So that's one of the theories as to the author, the actual person who penned this letter. Perhaps it was Sylvanus, who's also known as Silas. If that name sounds familiar to you, we see that this Silas was a traveling companion of Paul. Silas was mentioned in Acts 15, verse 40. You don't have to write that in your margin unless you really want to. He's mentioned, Silas is also mentioned in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19. And Silas was the co-sender, along with Paul, of 1 and 2 Thessalonians. So if you get some skeptic who says, well, Peter couldn't have written that, he was a fisherman. Well, Silas perhaps had a better uh, understanding of Greek grammar and uh, sentence structure, and perhaps he was the person who actually penned these words. That is a theory. Um, verse 13, a little mystifying, says, the chosen one at Babylon sends you greeting. What's he talking about there? Well, the chosen one is generally accepted to be the church itself, and Babylon is thought to be um, Peter's way of referring to the city of Rome, okay? Because why would he call Rome Babylon? Well, there was a lot of Christian persecution in Rome, uh, similar to the Jewish perse the persecution of Jews by the Babylonians. So he kind of writes this in uh, in code, if if you will. Okay, so. We're thankful for this letter, uh, this uh, first letter of Peter. And uh, by the way, he also mentions Mark in verse 13. Uh, Mark sends you greetings in verse 13 of chapter 5. And Mark, also known as the writer of the Gospel of Mark, you may recall when we when we touched on the Gospel of Mark, we said it could probably just as easily be called the Gospel of Peter because Mark accompanied Peter, uh, or I should say, was with Peter. Mark also accompanied Paul for it for a time, and uh, so Mark uh, recorded the thoughts of Peter in the Gospel of Mark. So I just wanted to clear that up. Okay, we're out of time. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for this, uh, this letter of Peter, our first pope. And we are reminded that though we will suffer, 
It is for a good cause, if you will, and that we needn't waste our suffering if we unite it with that on the cross. We thanks, we are thankful that Peter and Paul were in concert, if you will, in their ideas of Christian marriage, Christian conduct, Christian restraint, Christian charity, um, looking for, to uh, serve the church through our gifts. And we pray that you will reveal to us what we should be doing for the church. We know, as Peter says here in chapter 4, verse 10, we all have a gift. And so um, help us to find what that is, if we don't know it already, and give us the strength and the opportunities to use that gift. We ask this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.